be ready for more rate hikes. Like there is at least another 100 basis points to come, if not 200 basis points going into early next year. That's why we're gonna have a crash landing instead of a soft landing because what ends up happening is they have to keep going and going and going and eventually, like you're saying, it gets to a point where people don't have the money to pay for things and the prices have gone so high. My, my thing that I think is really gonna come of this is I really do believe there's gonna be a freeze in immigration because like you said, there's a supply issue. It'll perpetuate a slowdown. We'll have a slowdown next year because rates are so high, net worths are getting wiped out and then they're gonna freeze in the immigration and then that'll continue. So we'll have a extended slowdown from this, I think. Welcome to the Master Keys Podcast. This is episode 43 of season two. I'm Chandler Halliburton. I'm Neil Andrino. And this is a podcast all about uh, growing wealth through real estate and talking about everything surrounds that, uh, covering the news. And we're landlords slash realtors. Don't sound so excited about it. We're, <laughs> <laughs> we're realtors. We've sold, what? $400 million of real estate? It's closer to five, but who's $500 million of real estate. We have around 200 units. And yeah, this podcast is designed to hopefully help you uh, do better in the investing world if you're investing or just have an understanding of it. And we talk about, like you said, everything about real estate, but everything also affects real estate because there's a lot of other items and other yeah. news items that will impact what happens with the real estate world. And it also, same with real estate, it impacts a lot of things in your life that you might not even think about. Um, so. Yeah, wealth is where you have, or real estate's where you have all your wealth. Uh, problem is right now, the government doesn't want you to have any wealth, or at least Bank of Canada <laughs> wants you to have no wealth. Uh, so that, that's a lot of our conversation. So we're going to talk about that. Tons of rate stuff coming out. I know we've beaten that horse, but it is the most uh, important thing going on in the market today. But we're super excited because a lot of you have asked us time and time and time again about uh, private money options. So we've bought on, brought on uh, a colleague of ours who works in that space, Ryan McNeil with Graysbrook. Lent me lots um, of money. Yeah, he's lent Neil lots of money. Um, and so we have a full interview with him. You definitely want to check that out. Um, we really dive into some extra stuff with respect to private money and vendor takebacks on our Patreon. But this is a really good high-level conversation we have with Ryan. Uh, so stay tuned for that. Yeah. So let's get into the news and get us started. Oi, okay, yeah, let's get you into start, the news. You got all the numbers. Everyone knows Chandler's got all the man. Well, well, scary we're, we're gonna, numbers. Yeah, we're going to start with the with the inflation talk. Um, so, um, we've got we got two updates. So there's what's They're going on good. in the U.S. Yeah, <laughs> none of it's good. It's all terrible. Uh, I mean, U.S. inflation is up, um, especially the core inflation. Uh, was up uh, 0.6%, and overall inflation was up 0.4%. Core inflation kind of subtracts the more volatile energy uh, items out of um, the overall CPI to give a what they believe is a truer reflection of inflation, and so it wasn't good. Give uh, us Canada numbers before I go off here. Yeah, so Canada, uh, the numbers just came out. So our overall CPI inflation is at 6.9, which is down from 7, so a little 0.1%. <laughs> We're doing it. Uh, but our core inflation actually went up the same amount, 5.4 up from 5.3. So at best, we can call that a wash. Uh, well, th but that's worse than a wash in the sense that they're doing all these rate hikes. And we've been talking about how we think that they did enough rate hikes. I'm not going to say we because I didn't agree. But they've done enough rate hikes that's going to cool things off. And now we're seeing that it's not. And we've talked about how, listening to TIFF, they're basing their rate hikes off core inflation. So inflation went down 0.1%, which is not really uh, proof that it's going down in any shape or form. But even worse, core inflation didn't even stay level. It's slightly notched up, which is a really, really bad sign. With the fact, and you mentioned it, gas has been going down even more. And so they're kind of artificially dropping the price of gas to try and hopefully bring these numbers in. So if you didn't have gas going down, so what's your core solution? inflation would be up. I'm not, so my solution, honestly, I don't have a solution necessarily, but I'm saying 
more so I'm just being like, be ready for more rate hikes. And I think oh, yeah. more aggressive rate hikes. Like there is at least another 100 basis points to come between the, by, by like, if not 200 basis points going into early next year. Yeah. So, so the U.S. inflation numbers kind of coincided with a 75 basis point uh, increase on, on their uh, Fed rate. Um, the next Canadian announcement is coming out. <laughs> Shortly after this episode drops, I think the announcement's on the 26th or 27th, so somewhere in the air of October. And the question is, like, right now the market is kind of pricing in a 50-point hike. Yeah. But there's some thought, maybe with these numbers not being awesome, not being super 75, encouraging. 75, let go. Um, and the, the Fed doing 75 points uh, that uh, Bank of Canada may do 50 points as well. As you mentioned, we had TIFF here. Uh, and a couple of things that he stressed, I've got these highlights here. Uh, one, the labor market is too strong. He's saying, f- frankly, there's not enough job openings. However, I will say the job openings p- dropped uh, in September from August. So there are less like job postings uh, uh, out there. Uh, but he hammered that point. He said the labor market is way too strong. So he said there's, there's so, the labor market means that means we mean there's too many people? No, it means there's too many people. Like there, there's. Uh, too little unemployment. Uh, there's too much demand for labor. Labor is yeah, too yeah, expensive. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah, so yeah. the, the thing you can take from wages. that, and I've said this in an earlier segment and kind of got not not flamed for it, but the reality is, until people start losing their jobs, inflation is not going to come down. Yeah. That is the reality of how it works. Even if you want to just go real fundamental, the graphs and how they interact and normal level of unemployment and inflationary pressure, all these things like people are going to have to suffer. Uh, in their take-home paycheck. The irony is, and or the problem is, and this is why uh, it's scary when monetary policy doesn't do what it supposedly does in the model, is that you need people to have less money at the same time that inflation is going up. Like, that a is a problem. Down. Like, you are putting a lot of faith in this boy Tiff turning these dials and, it's, and assuming why. that that is going to fix things uh, while also suggesting people need to have less money. This is why right, it's, we're going to have a, a crash chicken landing. and an egg situation. And it's dangerous. That's why we're going to have a crash landing instead of a soft landing because what ends up happening is they have to keep going and going and going. And eventually, like you're saying, it gets to a point where people don't have the money to pay for things and the prices have gone so high. I'm just thinking in my head, I'm like, I'm going to be refinancing my private money into more expensive mortgages soon. <laughs> 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 I'm like, oh, I'm getting out of this private loan at 999 into a nice fixed term at 1499, yeah, five lender. year prime loan. Jeez, Murphy. Um, but uh, yeah, no, the one thing actually on that note is. Walmart, I'm not sure if anyone noticed, it, it kind of went under the radar. I don't know if we talked about it, but Walmart suggests they're going to do price freezes on all their in-house brands uh, in June. And so they're going to say, like, their price fix guarantee, they've always undercut inflation, and so they froze all their prices. In response, Loblaw has just announced, so Superstore, uh, I forget what other brands they have, but Superstore, Atlantic, Atlantic Superstore, and Loblaws all have announced to freeze all the prices on their no-name brand until January 2023 to help consumers... Fight. Bullshit. Wow, that's what well, this is what I said. But here's because my thought is, why do you think they're doing it? It's because this is actually working. People are not buying as much. Like orders are going, uh, you know, are, are are being oversupplied. Like th- we talked about this before. This that it. this is how this is how these interest rates trickle through the economy. The first thing is the housing market, you know, stops, and then orders stop, and then profits stop, and then there's job loss. So we're at the point right now where orders are slowing down. And we talked about this so even they're, months they're, this ago. This is a marketing promo. Instead of putting things yes. on sale to get rid of the excess inventory, they're doing this, and people are like, oh, I'm going to shop there and buy these brands because I know the prices are fixed. 
The other thing is price. They're fi- fixing the prices at the highest point that it's been, and now there's well, there over yeah. excess inventories. And exactly. so we're supposed to be having massive sales coming into this this Christmas season, but instead they're all doing this thing of like, oh, we're here to save the people. Yeah. We want to save the people money. We don't want you to be impacted by inflation. So what we're going to do is we're going to lock all of our prices in at the highest point they've ever been. <laughs> and yeah. Enjoy it, guys. But if you want to take some optimism from that, like I think um, that this is because they currently are overstocked. Right, which means eventually the prices will have to come off. Yeah, which means they're at a point where they have overordered, and their future orders are going to be less. Which is phase two in the four trickling down components of of these interest rate hikes. Uh, so this is why we're still in the midst of it, and it was really discouraging to see these numbers for September not be good, not not be positive, and it doesn't bode well for for other increases. But I still am optimistic that this is working its way through the economy as long as people realize that the last level of this is job loss because that that is what's going to have to happen. There is a counterpoint like to what you're saying, which is we're we're turning these interest rates up and they don't seem to be doing anything. It's led some people to believe that, well, maybe this really isn't the issue. And maybe it is what you and I kind of talked about for some time, which is that this is a supply issue. This may even be a corporate gouging issue. Well, of course, yeah. Right? So um, maybe just making everyone lose all of their net worth uh, and struggle (laughs) to make their mortgage payments and have less money isn't the solution we need here. Maybe it's some other intervention, or maybe, and this is scary, there are going to be some things that are not um, in our control, which is reliance on trading you know, with with Eastern countries, reliance on stability in Europe and Russia for oil, like all of these things, it turns out are not entirely in our control. And now we eat it on pricing, and it doesn't matter what you turn the interest rates to. There's no interest rate that's going to make the conflict in Ukraine stop. I 100. I'm just in my head. I'm thinking about like it's curious how we dumped all the money into the market, and I'm like, I look at how China did it, where they actually tried to put in infrastructure projects. I wish we had done something like that more so than just dumping money into the market when COVID took place. Um, my, my thing that I think is really going to come with this is I really do believe there's going to be a freeze in immigration because like you said, there's a supply issue and that's not going to get fixed any short term. And I don't just mean for housing, I mean for everything because immigrants don't just require a house. They also require all the products that go along with living. Uh, and yeah. so I think this is going to put a freeze in immigration, which again, I don't think it'll impact us immediately, especially where Halifax had such a whatever great growth and the rest of Canada has too. And right now we have this oversupply, but eventually I think they're going to freeze it for multiple years. It'll perpetuate the slowdown. We'll have a slowdown next year because rates are so high and net worths are getting wiped out and then they're going to freeze in the immigration and then that'll continue. It's, so we'll have a extended slowdown, uh, from this, I think like it's, it's, it's shaping up to be pretty bad. Like it's, it's scary that they keep raising these things. They're they're artificially pushing things down. You got price freezes at Superstore and inflation still flying off the charts. Yeah, I feel like 2023 is going to be or a year like 2020 where you just kind of hope that you can just forget about it and it didn't happen. Like I think 2023 is going to be a drag. Uh, just to highlight a couple other things that Mac said when he was here in Halifax, uh, he said that energy costs are being passed along to consumers. Uh, no kidding. Um, he acknowledged that monetary policy takes time. Ironically. I would say that he's not giving it time, but he does acknowledge that it, it does take time. Uh, he hammered the fact that 2% was the target for inflation at all costs, effectively. So if we're now at 6.9%, uh, and we've raised, I don't know, how, how many points are we up now? 300 or so? Yeah, and least, yeah. we've managed to bring inflation down maybe like 1.3% from highs and, and barely adjusted uh, the core inflation. And yep. he's still targeting 2% at all costs. And these quotes I had was that, 
quote number one is that there's no clear under indication that underlying inflation has come down. So he's done all this, and, and there's no clear indication it's had any um, impact. But he says there is a clear indication that more increases are needed. So um, that is what is on the the horizon. You know, the only good thing, rates. I'm going to give them some creds on this, about the early, like, crazy no. rate. <laughs> the crazy rate hikes off the start versus doing, like, progressional forever. Um, and this is what we're seeing. CNBC released this, but mortgage demand has dropped to a 25-year low, which is really smart that they've done this because it's it's – it's tailoring people off, I think, in a really quick way, um, which I think will prevent a lot of people from getting in a scenario where they're over their burden, like they're over limit, they're over their uh, capacity to borrow, and then they're going to get screwed. Because I think what would happen if it's a slow increase of rates, people would have still been borrowing, borrowing, borrowing. By raising this really quickly, it crushed the sentiment. It got a ton of people to slow down. They said new mortgages are down 38%. Refinances are down 86% year over year. So, People are just like, yeah. I mean, that that's that's to be expected for sure. Because it's why to be would you refinance right now? Like, you, you, unless you absolutely had to, you wouldn't. Of course, yeah. but my point is, is that if they hadn't have done it in this manner of increasing rates at an expedited, like in a super fast pace, then this wouldn't have happened. People wouldn't have slowed down as much. People saw like, oh, they're going up by twenty five basis points each time. I'm going to crush in all these refinances, maximize as much money as I can get out of it, and then be in a situation that they're screwed. So it, by doing these really quick rate hikes, I think it actually cooled the market. For that side of things, which is really good, like I think they're helping consumers protect themselves. I'm gonna throw out, I'm gonna throw out something at you, and I'm really curious to get your thoughts on it because it really got me thinking. Um, Canadian prices were down in September, I think 1.4 percent across the board, which uh, now we're down about 14 percent from the ultimate high um, in March. Yeah. Right? Uh, so we gave back essentially all the gains that were made in the first quarter. Yeah. Uh, and we did a breakdown in a previous episode how that really is skewed towards some of the periphery areas of Vancouver and Toronto. And in fact, in Toronto, like there's some pricing stuff in Toronto that there's still something like 25 to 40 percent of homes are still selling over ask in the core of Toronto. So there, there's some nuance in that 14 percent. That 14 percent very likely does not apply to the place you're listening to. It certainly doesn't apply to here in Halifax. We've given back uh, quite a bit of the game, but but not that amount. Um, regardless, a couple interesting things that are going on. Um, one is that there is some chatter about lessening the stress test because right now for someone to get approved for a mortgage they're getting stress tested around seven and a half percent right because remember what they do is they take the rate and then they add two points um so you can imagine how hard it is for someone to qualify at seven and a half percent and there's some talk that they're going to lessen that which is ironic because the whole point the stress test is in there was to protect buyers in a situation like we find ourselves now where they purchased a price uh, a property at one rate and they may be coming up for renewal or they're on a variable product and it's now it's much higher the stress test was there to protect them to ensure that they could still uh, carry that debt and now there's some chatter about um, lessening that that test bad idea. to to allow people to qualify that's a bad idea Here's another one. That's a bad idea. Can I say why it's a bad okay, idea? Okay, yeah. So my my opinion on why that's a bad idea, and this is, again, where I think there's an unfound, like, trust in the banks, and everyone just assumes that they're, like, the know-all and they are a safe place, but they are just a business like everybody else, and all of the people within there are trying to make their best guesses on where things are going, and I think that came around because there was a sentiment that the rates would not continue to increase that much more like a few months ago, everyone was like, ah, we're near the end of it. They're going to cool these bad boys off. We're going to level it out. Things are going to be great. But the end of next year, we're all going to be dandy roses. Now they're all like, oh, shit. So I think that's when that came up because they're like, well, 
realistically rates aren't going to go another 200 points or more. So we can start cooling this off because realistically that's peaking them out and no one would ever actually have to pay an 8 or 9% rate. So I think by removing it, it's a very bad idea. And I think so why they're, protect, the they're helping to it? protect people by leaving that in there. Why is the bank doing that? Yeah. Because they got to keep lending money out. Like exactly. They, they need to get the, the money out. They're, they're a business. That you had. They, yeah. have, they, have, they have mortgages. Again. Like they're having like the mortgage demand is down, like we just said, a, 40% for new mortgages, 86 for refis. They need to get the money out there because they're a business. They got to keep churning it over. Yeah. And so they're, they want to reduce it, but they're not helping consumers. Like everyone's like, oh, this is like, they're out helping me get into my house. I'm going to get a home. Well, this uh, was the yeah, thing. But you're also going to have to give it back in two years when the rate's 9.5%. Well, that was the thing too with like um, why variable was so enticing is because you, ha- you were stress tested at a lower amount. Like, and that's yeah. part of the reason people were incentivized to go into these variable products at the same time as Bank of Canada was saying those rates were going to be low for two years and and all these things. like, and, and then they slap our wrist like, well, you guys were overextended. It's like, well, you kind of forced us in that position. But um, your next thing. yeah, I think that they're definitely doing this. I, I would be, I bet you they're going to do something like, yeah, we'll lessen the stress test on our five-year products. Oh yeah, yeah, I can see that. I've seen them do that. To Which try to I'm not that. I'm not too opposed to. I was gonna say I'm. I'm still for the idea. If you can get into like a long-term fixed product at a rate that you're comfortable with, maybe not five years. I think it's a little aggressive, but even if you took a five year and you're like, I can make this payment, and I'm comfortable like with what I have and all that. I don't think that's a bad idea. I would be nervous if you're squeaking into a property on a, um, what call it, on a floating rate. Right now, yeah, you're yeah. just squeaking in on a floating rate. Like that means you're just being able to do it, and that's how they're qualifying you. Well, and at the now, end of this month, that's going to keep going up, and like that's where you're going to get screwed. At the end of this month, the variable will be higher than the fixed anyway. That's see? like it, it, it will be, I think, effective with this next next rate hike. So no one will be taking variable money if it's a qualifying issue. If it's a qualifying issue, they'll be taking the fixed money. I, I think at this point, if it's a you know hedging their bets and, and trying to think of what where they'll end up better over the next five years, they may opt. Uh, to go variable, um, but we'll see. The other thing there's some talk about is that um, they're they're considering um, being able to um, like refinance or or, or reamortize your mortgage without having to requalify. Yeah, I saw that. So essentially, what that means is, you know, you've got your 25 or 30 year am whatever it is. Um, they're talking about giving you the option. To and, and say you're, you're three, ten years in. Yes, yeah, so say well, no, say you're three years into it, even, right? Sure. Um, now they'll let you reamortize, which will actually bring down your payments, right? Because you'll be stretching them out for another thirty years um, without having to actually requalify for that mortgage, because obviously you would have to go out and get the new rate, and you there are going to be people who will not be able to qualify for the mortgage that they have on their home. We've talked about that a little bit, and that's Tons, where people like, end up, you know, yeah. in, in trouble on their house and having either pay in or, or sell the property. Um, I'd say most almost. This would allow them to effectively stretch out the mortgage automatically without having to requalify, uh, which again, you know, sounds like the bank doing you a favor, but it is effectively saying, let's kick this down the road. Let's make sure you don't get any equity. Do you in this think property. next year will be so bad that they're going to put in fifty year AMS? So right now, again, just to go over what Chandler just said, so when you get a mortgage, everyone knows no. you can get around 25 to 30 years as an amortization, so they stretch everything over that, and then you basically pick your rate for the next one to five years, commercially up to 10, I think. Um, to, now, to lower that payment, it used to be like 15, then it went to 25, then it went to 30. There was a there was time for 40 years there. And, and there was a time for 40, 40 years. 40 years, zero down, let's go! How did <laughs> yeah. we create this problem? Then, I have no idea. And then Europe, Europe has like 50. I think... 
some parts even have like 99 year like uh, mortgages and stuff like that. Like I think in, in Asian countries, mm-hmm. I'm not 100% sure. I'm probably going to take some heat on that one. But um, the I think it might bring us 50 or more AMs. I've been hearing some rumblings. A couple guys in the bank I was talking to, they think they might stretch AMs. I think they'll stretch AMs. But 50 years certainly sounds a lot. That's the next um, step. Where do they go from? You think 40? I guess. It might yeah. go to 40. In my head, it's like yeah. 25, 30. I don't even think about 40. I think it's 50 is like the next. I think you can get commercial mortgages. Like do <laughs> One, 50 two, already. skip a few 99, 50-year AMs. They'll have to do 50s for developers, too. That's the other thing. Like, oh, totally. Some if that's, you're cap rating at yeah, yeah. 4% or 3.5% and you're paying a 7% rate, like it doesn't take much math to figure yeah, out that you're negative by a lot every month. Yeah, we've talked about a lot of the challenges that are going to be coming up to new development. And this is why housing starts are just grinding to a halt, and that's going to be problematic. I'm going to jump to something else you talked about, which is believing that um, migration is going to be curbed. But I'm going to throw some stuff at you here. Okay. Canadian population growth in Q3 was the fastest since 1957. In fact, we grew by almost 300,000 people. And considering we got a population of about 40 million you know that that is almost one percent. It's insane. It's close to one percent, and international migration was just under ninety five percent of that migration. Okay, hold the phone here. So in Q three, we got three hundred thousand people. Uh, yes. So in one quarter, almost one in one hundred people are new to this country. So if you go to yep. like a concert hall with like a thousand people, there's going to be ten people in there that were not even in this country like six months ago. Correct. That's insane. Like I don't know if anyone's thinking about that. That is. Like insanity, and also kind of why we're probably facing some of these inflationary things that are taking place uh, on both the housing side and everything we consume. Um, well, again, that's you. That's you implying that it's demand-based inflation. I think it's a supply-based inflation. Um, but you know, need, well, I mean, if, if you curb you know, demand and you have no supply, it still goes to zero. Like it's yeah, yeah, it's inflation either yeah. way. Um, so this is why. You know, there's a, there's the question out now, like, all right, well, how far can the housing market fall? And I do think it has these naturally built-in um, bottoms. And I, I do think we did we did a major correction, a major come down. And now what I'm seeing out there, and I can I say this anecdotally at least for this point, but I think you can see a, a leveling off here. Uh, it's now a drip, right? Mm-hmm. It, it was a one-time correction, and now it's a drip, like marginal d- decreases. Like there was a, there was a time where literally the home down the street sold for six hundred. Now this home is selling for five hundred and twenty-five thousand, right? Like that—that that happened. I don't want to say overnight, but pretty damn close. And now I see it's like, all right, well, that one's five twenty-five. The next one might be five fifteen. The next one might be five ten. You know, and, and we're kind of settling off there. And for a couple reasons, one of them is really interesting. I wanted to get your take on it. The supply—we've harped on this—is mm. way, 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 way down. Like the sellers just are not selling their home. They're just not. And and that's why you're still seeing in major markets, like our market, still 30 to 35% of homes are selling over ask every single week because inventory is so low. And that is helping to protect the the the, the pricing. But I, I wanna I'm, get I wanna get it. I'm, I'm losing confidence. I'm losing confidence. Confidence is being lost at a rapid pace over here, almost as fast as the housing market's going down. But <laughs> <laughs> no, in all seriousness, so I think like you said, so right off the hop, there was like this. 10% cut on a lot of properties that were kind of overpriced to begin with. Uh, those are the ones that got beat up the most. They weren't great properties, but they were selling like mad because the market was nuts. Um, then now, it, like you said, it's more leveled out. And I feel like I look around, I'm like, oh, like now, like you said, they come on, they sell, they get two or three offers. There's still that kind of pent up demand. I think we're going to, I think the original fall wasn't really justified by anything other than sentiment, le- sentiment yeah. of yeah. like people being scared. Like they're seeing all these reels of Chandler talking about the rates going to hell and like stuff like that going on. I don't, and now I think we're kind of leveling out because rates are still not that bad. We've talked about it. People can go out and get in four and a half to five and a half percent money, which really a few years ago was 
pretty normal. And so that's not out of this world for a couple to be able to go out and buy a home that's still in the five, $600,000 range. So here we don't feel it as much. And I do agree that there's a supply issue, but I'm also starting to see a lot more price reductions take place. I'm starting to see withdrawn listings. I'm starting to see houses be totally. relisted. That is a normal market. Re- let, me, let me, then being relisted for less than they just paid a year ago. I'm seeing, like I'll, I'll come across those every day now when I browse through. Um, and I think, we, again, we have not felt the pain. Like I think the pain is to come where like- I'm feeling I was, pain, I was, I, was, <laughs> I was, that's because you're hungover. No, that's- uh, <laughs> Uh, you're on day three of your hangover, but uh, there is. I was in the bank, and literally the two people in front of me were asking for mortgage deferrals. Like it was awkward because you know when you're at the teller, and like I can hear them, and they're talking about asking for mortgage deferral, and I'm like, "It's like, uh, so you realize we don't do that at the teller?" Yeah, we don't do that at the teller, but I can hear it. And I'm like, "This is crazy," and yeah. I think so. Yeah. I think we're about to go through our our Christmas season. Uh, the North American culture is to spend, and you you feel very bad if you don't, and so everyone's going to feel basically the pressure to spend like they always do. They're already over leveraged, values are way down. There's going to be a lot of people next year that get beat up. And I think where we're seeing core inflation has not dropped. They're going to keep increasing the rates pretty close to the pace that they have been. And so then anyone who's in the variable products, anyone who's out there now and has any sort of loan or debt, they're going to be in, they're going to be in tough shape. And a lot of people went out there and spent a ton of money on cars and auxiliary properties. And like you're going to sell secondary, secondary property markets are going to start falling off heavily. And so they're going to yeah. sell these, take losses there, Man. boats, cars, all this Counterpoint. stuff. It's still the third best market we've ever seen. You've got this recency bias, man. Like you're well, not there like, yet. I'm like, not, I'm like, not, like, I'm people are doing price reductions. Like, man, like this is still. I'm, not, the I'm saying it hasn't happened yet. Though. I'm yeah, saying it hasn't yeah. happened yet. I'm, say, I'm so, saying like in in the following year, I think it's actually going to happen because right now people aren't selling really because they have to. I think people are going to start selling because they actually have to here at some point. So here's a couple things to your point. And like you said, unemployment's going to come, and when unemployment comes. Yeah, but but so the interesting part about this is that sellers are um, booing up the market by just refusing to sell, right? Which which we kind of expected would happen. We yeah, we, we have a high before. population of people with no um, mortgage and, and low mortgages. Yeah, um, there's also a high population of people that are saying we're going to sell, but we're going to wait till this blows over. Which means, like they are going to sell. There could be an influx of a lot of homes hit the market in the spring, right? Like you said, like maybe these people are riding it out. To see where the dust settles, and they could all come up on spring. The other thing is, ironically, um, you can look at that 14% since March, right? That we're down 14% since March. We're still up from this time last year. And in many markets, like we talked about how resilient Alberta's been, we've been very resilient here in in Nova Scotia. Mm -hmm. Because the sellers are not selling their home, and they are keeping prices high, it sort of is giving our boy Tiff... Permission to just continue turning the screws. Is he our boy? I hate that guy. <laughs> um, but yeah, he's, he's so exactly. He's that's a cruel it. irony. It's like, all right, we're fighting for our lives here as like sellers and property owners. And he's like, ah, you guys have more resilience than I this thought. This is it. Jacking it some more. That, that's what I mean. They, they yeah. have to get you to. They have to get this to turn over, and so they're going to keep doing it until people cave in. The other thing that is similar to the sentiment, it's. Once people started seeing prices drop, like just like when people started seeing prices explode, everyone's like, "Man, I got to get two, three more properties." Like yeah, everyone yeah. was scooping properties up left, right, and center. The second people started seeing properties prices fall right off, they're gonna be like, "Oh shit!" Like I don't want to be in this. Like I'm gonna try and get out. So there's a ton yeah. of people that own second property. What what, what was the ratio of people owning second properties that they're gonna start throwing those up? Whether it's a rental yeah. or it's 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 a cottage, they're gonna be like, "I don't want to hold on to a depreciating asset." Nobody wants a depreciating asset, right? Yeah, we're gonna have some stats stats next week on the drop off of Airbnbs. Like there's been yeah, like Airbnbs have have declined in activity quite significantly. That's a sign of people not Pulling spending. Mine like off. you know, you know, tourism is gonna 
see the same sort of thing. And part of that's seasonal. Don't get me wrong. A lot of that is seasonal. Um, but I, I think that's going to yield some reveal some interesting things because that's people deciding not to spend a little bit of extra money in their local economy most often. The last thing I want to mention, I already said it once, but Christmas season's on top of, like you're saying, everyone's holding on to their properties, which is kind of making it more tough and tiffs. Like, I'll just keep dialing this up to see what your tolerance is. Going into Christmas, the extra, the extra spending will not be helping inflation numbers. Right? So, like, we're just, it's like a, it's like a setup. We're, I don't want to say we're doomed to fail, but I, I really do think there's going to be a beat down here. And I think a lot of people, like, we can get through this. And if you're smart with your numbers and you, you watch your stuff, you can get through it. But there are people that are over leveraged that are going to get really beat up. And I think the toughest part is going to come when the unemployment comes because it doesn't matter. If you're like, oh, I was perfectly leveraged, but then if you have no income, it, you're, you're not perfectly leveraged. I want to fire some Ontario stuff at you. All right. Okay. Up. So we'll start with Toronto. Go Jays. You did it. Um, in Toronto, downtown uh, Toronto, still 39% of property selling over asking. The city of Toronto, 33% are still selling over asking. In the 9 to 5 areas, 26% still selling over asking. Having said that, uh, Toronto for September, once again, for I think like the seventh month in a row, uh, hit a 20-year low in inventory. It dropped just from August to September. The number of deal volumes dropped by 10%. Just mm -hmm. in one month, sales mm -hmm. down 10%. Um, from last year, from September of last year, sales are down 44%. That's insane. So sales are down 44%, but they're still showing some price resilience in a lot of the micro markets. Interestingly, condos are up. Uh, and then low-rise, you know, single-family townhouse stuff is down, but condos are up because people are effectively being pushed to more affordable living, and condos offer that. Uh, so that's an interesting take on what's going me, on in Toronto. Let me um, just comment on that really yeah, quick. Yeah, jump in on it. So to what you just said, immigration, 300,000 people in Q3, probably 70% <laughs> of those ended up in Toronto. So that... That in itself is why you're seeing these over-ask and this massive demand. But again, if they curb immigration, this game is going to get beat up. Like, I, just just that simple. So I'm, I'm glad you, you mentioned that because... And I'm going to read something here because it's just a lot of stuff at once here and I don't want to miss stuff. People are actually leaving Ontario a bit more yep. than you might expect. It, yep. it tends to be people's first destination when they're coming from another country and then they spread out. Yep. So listen to this. In... 2021 alone, nearly 108,000 Ontarios left. Ontarians. Ontarians? What did I say? Ontarios? I said Ontarios. Cheerios. <laughs> <laughs> Over 100,000 Ontarians left the province, uh, and that continued in the second quarter of this year when an additional 49,000 left Ontario to go to other provinces, which, again, it's their highest interprovincial migration since 1971. Uh, about a quarter moved to Alberta, and another quarter moved to the Maritimes. So we are actually getting here in the Maritime provinces, and, and most of those people, if they're moving to the Maritimes, where are they moving? Halifax. Yeah. But so they, they got 200,000 and 49,000 left. So they had 150,000 net positive. I'm just saying it, it's, it's, it's very interesting to see how many of those are, are coming there, here. There is the largest Canada. migration out of there, but we're also having the largest immigration to our country of all time. So it's like they're still net positiving a totally. ton of people. Like yeah. it is insanity in those places yeah we're feeling also, it here and we're having a, a man a we're getting a rush positive, but yeah it's i'm also i'm not like not to hate on the maritimes in any shape or form but i do have some concern that all these people that moved during covid we talked about when it first took place i don't think we're gonna like we're not gonna have a hundred percent retention of these people like we're gonna have like 50 percent retention honestly if that i think there's a mixture of reasons too there's lifestyle like if you're coming out of ontario or any other big city and you're moving to the maritimes in any of these cities it is a dramatic change in lifestyle that you may have not been prepared for. 
your job may pros be like, and cons with that. Your job for two things might be like, well, it's not COVID anymore. Get back in the office. Or we're doing downsizes and we're doing cuts. If you don't work in the office, you're getting cut. We don't just have all these yeah. people all over the place. The other thing is, like again, prices start going down and they see more stability in a bigger market. They're going to move back to that. Um, so there's there's a lot of different things that I'm like, we might not retain. The other, oh, the other one I was going to mention, and I'm seeing this is they can't even get a house or a rental. Like I had someone yeah, message, we had someone message us, this is kind of crazy, but we had a message come in for one of our units the other day and he said, hey, I moved here from Quebec uh, three months ago and my family and I have been at a campsite for three months. Do you know what they're telling international students at Dell right now? Do you think they, he's going to stay in Halifax? If they don't have an apartment? Uh, what, tell them to go home. Tents? Oh, home. They're telling them to go home. This is what I mean. So they're, they're like, and then you're going to curb the immigrate, like. Yeah, so just to finish the point, though, in the second quarter, both Nova Scotia and New Brunswick saw their greatest net gains from interprovincial migration since 1971. So as there's some downward pressure on the real estate market here in Nova Scotia and in New Brunswick, we just took in more people from the rest of the country in the last half century. Which is, all of these things are amazing, but they don't stimulate the Canadian, basically, industries enough to meet the demand that they created by bringing all these people in to try and fight the issue of the amount of money that they just dispersed into our economy. Yeah, and it's all these contraction. Like, you know, in, in theory, some of these people will alleviate some pressures on the labor market, but they will then put some pressure onto the housing market. So it's it's a lot of different forces. Um, you know, if you I curve know what the that, thought process is when, when you're like, okay, we're going to bring in record numbers of people. Tax dollars. I understand, but if you don't do any of the stuff with, like, a, like business incentives to start get all the businesses going to to service all of these people and to supply all the things that these people need like what are they thinking like bef- before they're like okay like okay we want to add 10 million people by 2050 in advance they should be like okay we need 10 million homes or apartments or whatever and we need to start those now yeah, but you can't start them now because you can't finance them. And this is the cruel I, I, uh, double-edged sword that we're dealing with right now, which is why I agree with you. Great incentives. You know, if, if they're doing all these things and businesses, um, like with, with relaxing food. the stress test on, on residential, maybe allowing some longer uh, amortizations on renewals, um, I think they're going to have to do something for new construction. They, they really are. Uh, I'm going to end us with this up note unless... Well, not I don't even know what to make of this, but it, it's, it, it, it made me... It, it made me <laughs> Uh, made you happy? laugh when I saw this. So there was a recent report by the National Research Group uh, in the States that found consumers will cut spending on food, but not on Netflix. Roughly two-thirds of consumers said they will have to decrease their spending due to inflation. However, only about a quarter plan to cancel subscriptions uh, such as Netflix. This is like, that's like the best article. Yeah. How much did Netflix pay that, like that, re- who did the, who did the work? Who did the research? Uh, the National Research Group. Yeah. You like, you trace back the money that, that funded the National Research. Like, oh, we got a grant this year for $6 million or $60 million from Netflix. But you can take that a couple ways. One, you can take it that our priorities are hella messed up. Uh, or two, that entertainment matters because we're going to have some mental health challenges as we struggle through this. And man, sometimes just chilling out and watching a bunch of Netflix is good for mental health even though that's or like if you're really hungry because you didn't buy food if you just put on a really good netflix show you'll forget that you're hungry oh speaking of which you know the buyer's home on stranger things you watch stranger things no all right well buyers like where she had like the lights up that house is actually listed for sale for 300 grand i think it's in georgia but that's not anyway. bad. Yeah, so we're going to transition now into a really cool conversation about private money uh, this is my boy. with Ryan McNeil. This is Neil's legit boy. Um, the guy that I always talk about when I say I can shoot him a text and they wire me money, 
this is the guy. If you do call him, I'm going to charge him 10%. Yeah, um, yeah. Call us, we'll refer you. <laughs> yeah, but uh, no, anyways, he's, it's a really good conversation. So we're going to switch studios and uh, dive into it. Yeah. All right. So yeah, we got a guest here today. Super excited about it because so many people reach out and ask us about this idea of like private money or alternative lending. And apparently they're all too cheap to check with the Patreon. Haha, <laughs> just kidding. But there is great stuff on our Patreon um, where we talk about uh, seller financing, private money, all these sort of things. Uh, but we wanted to, to break it down here with an episode for everyone. So Neil, you want to introduce our guest here? Yeah. So for once, we actually brought in my boy. We always call everyone my boy, but this is actually my boy. It's Ryan McNeil from Grayspur right. Capital. Yeah. Say hello, Ryan. Hey guys. And uh, here. yeah, he he has done every time I've alluded to private financing, like ninety nine percent of it has been through Ryan. Um, he's been the guy that I text when I'm in a tight bind, and he's looked over all my numbers, and he's gotten me out of different Neil sends deals. Ryan these texts at like one a.m. You up, winky face, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. winky face, dollar sign. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he's my boy. After yeah. all, so. <laughs> Um, but so yeah, today we're going to go over basically all the questions you guys would be interested in hearing, uh, cost breakdowns, what it looks like for them to loan for you guys, things they don't want to see. Uh, and then also some of Ryan's opinions on stuff that Tiff has said, Tiff Macklin, he came and presented here in Halifax, uh, and where we see rates going, potentially where we see the market going with foreclosures and, and all of that. So, uh, yeah, let's hop right into it and maybe do an intro here for yourself, Ryan. For sure. Awesome. Well, first off, thanks for having me, guys. Um, really appreciate it. You guys do awesome work on this podcast, and Thank you. great to be a guest. Um, as Neil mentioned, name is Ryan McNeil. I'm the director of alternative lending for Graysbrook Capital. Been doing it for about five and a half years. Um, business has grown substantially in the last couple of years. It's been uh, it's been five and a half years, but it's felt like a lot longer the way the real estate market's <laughs> been the last couple of years. Uh, yeah. So I feel like I've had a career and a half of experience <laughs> in that time. Um, but yeah, just a little bit about me. Um, I, uh, in, in a past life, similar to Neil was, uh, an engineer. He's got the ring showing right there. Giving um, those things away. I don't away. wear mine anymore. Uh, that lasted about eight months for me. So yeah. I quickly realized it wasn't. The, Neil will uh, be buried with his. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Very proud. I don't blame him. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's, uh, it, it kind of led me to my passion, which was business. I ended up going back to business school, did a couple of co-op terms, uh, did the Bay Street thing for a little bit and realized I didn't want to be part of the Bay Street fashion show, nor <laughs> working 120 hours a week. Um, that led me to the uh, consumer goods industry where I got to work with a couple of Fortune 500 companies, um, got my training in sales, key accounts, um, working in like business analytics, and that really laid the foundation for me for my career. So despite the fact that the first time I learned about a mortgage was when I bought my house five years ago and started selling mortgages the next day, yeah. I felt <laughs> I had kind of the foundation there uh, with my analytical and sales skills to kind of build a network and, you know, meet many broker and realtor partners around Atlantic and uh, led me to where I am today. That's actually quite an impressive background. I knew about the engineering. I didn't know about all the other stuff. So that's, uh, and like you said, it leads into you being the perfect person to fit this role, I think, honestly. Um, so you've had a crazy couple of years. Did you enjoy the last couple of years, though? Definitely enjoyed it. Um, you know, maybe less so in this unpredictable market we're in right now, um, but certainly enjoyable. It's been very... It's gone very well for our business, let's say. Uh, there's been a, a, a heavy need, and I know we were talking about it before we started recording here, that there's been a much heavier need for private financing for a multitude of reasons, which mm -hmm. I'm sure we'll get into. But uh, it's uh, it's been very good and a lot of uh, a lot of learning for sure. So so who is 
Graysbrook, though, because people may not be familiar with you or have heard you by name but don't really know maybe your connection uh, to Credit Union, for, for example. Yep. So what is Graysbrook? Absolutely. So in the simplest terms, Graysbrook is an equity lender. So that's what we're looking for at the end of the day. We're an equity lender. We focus on short-term deals, typically six to 12 months, sometimes a little bit longer, sometimes <laughs> by our choice, sometimes not by our choice. <laughs> Neil's, Neil's the, the lifetime. Uh, so he looked at me when he said that. <laughs> Neil's the lifetime it's commitment it's package. Good. You his bills. It's all good. Yeah. Um, so, so really at the end of the day, we focus on equity and exit strategy. Those are the keys with, with Graysbrook. Um, you know, we do a multitude of different deals that we'll get into, but just a bit of the background on Graysbrook. So Graysbrook was originally a family business. So my dad and my uncle actually founded this business in 2006. Oh man, I didn't know that. Yeah. So that's how I actually got into the business. No way. You know, cause it's, it's very difficult with the disparities in incomes in Ontario. I, I should have mentioned as well. I was in Ontario for my business career initially, Moved out east when I had this opportunity with Graysbrook, but uh, you know, so I was very fortunate to come back into a family business. Um, like Chandler alluded to, um, we were we our business was sold to CUA in 2019. So yeah. CUA is basically our parent company, our sole investor. We still operate completely independently and, and make our decisions independently of CUA. Uh, but that's when kind of my my father and uncle moved away from the business into retirement, and I was able to kind of take a leadership role within the business at that point. So are you from Hellwax? I was born in Halifax, grew up in Moncton, uh, and went to school in Fredericton and then moved to Ontario after that for about 10 years. Gotcha. I know um, that that's interesting history now because I, yeah. I didn't know that in, in advance of this, but I was always felt that alternative lending, private lending was like the big bad boogeyman and oh my gosh, you're dancing with the <laughs> devil if you go down that road. Um, and, and this is a digression from what was on here, but that was kind of my naivete early on. And it's not to say it's it's without risk. It, it, it does have risk. Um, but it's interesting. It, it actually kind of gave me a sense of comfort to know that you were affiliated with CUA. And, and it's like, okay, this isn't just some guy, right? Yep. Even though, and, and it's also kind of endearing to know that it started from a family business. So. It, it's a financial tool. Like it, it's something to utilize along your, your growth and and to get up like like i said i i use it to get started and a lot of times you have to when you're getting started because most banks will laugh you out the door yeah right that's so. that's it neil it's 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 intended to get you know our clients from point a to point b right yeah. we don't want people staying with us long term or too long of a term because that's when issues start to happen and we yeah. want people to be successful so who is your target like so target clients so and i'm glad you mentioned that as well chandler being being the big boogeyman because that often <laughs> is the myth that comes along with private lending and with credit yeah. capital in general you know some people have the stigma associated with it that it's you know people with damaged credit or you know have been through multiple bankruptcies yeah but we actually have a very strong credit profile for most of our clients and 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 they tend to be high net worth so I'd say the ideal client profile we see is someone who is equity rich and maybe needs cash flow for a variety of different reasons. Uh, often we see business for self clients who don't claim their full income, but they do make a ton yeah. of income that just happens to stay in their business. Yeah. Um, and I'll get into, you know, construction and renovation loans a bit more as well, but that is another one of our key kind of clientele people who have some experience in that field, whether it's construction trades, home renovations, home flips, because um, we love those types of deals, and that's where we tend to have strong client profiles as well. 
And so as that client, are you looking for people that are building homes? Are you more interested in renovating properties? Is it like, what is kind of the ideal, I guess, asset that goes along with that person? What type of people do you go after? Yeah, so both. Um, you know, typically the equity in a scenario like that, if we're talking construction, is is in the land. So we like to see the clients okay. either own their land or put, you know, maybe 50% towards the land purchase price. Yeah. So they've got kind of skin in the game that way. Renovation loans will do as well. It's always case by case. You know, we prefer, you know, stronger locations, of course, as yeah. well. Uh, you know, although we have done some in rural areas as well. So it just really depends on loan to values and, you know, multitude of factors. But, you know, we fund renovations. We we base our decisions as well off of the as complete appraisal. So it's not necessarily just what your cost is going to be for the renovation or construction. It's yeah. really what it's going to appraise out at the end of the day that we're basing our loan to value on. Yeah, we talk a lot about that as well in the, the Patreon episode. But um, so... I think you've unpacked a lot of it there, but what are the benefits kind of of working with you guys? There's there's the speed, obviously, and Neil touched on the fact that, you know, someone starting off, you know, AA lending just may not be an option for you. Yeah, I'm going to I'll say one minute before you before you answer. But like I said, I mentioned there was a speed. It is we were talking about this before we came on the mic, but I was able to text Ryan and within probably 48 hours have cash my accounts like I, that one was so and you know what's funny is I started in this private world working with Ryan and so then I moved over to the banks after and I did not realize how slow <laughs> a oh, loan yeah. a, 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 yeah. a draw can be by the time you got an appraiser in got the percentage complete sent it to the bank it went through the 13 levels that they need to get it approved then they come back with 10 questions and it goes back through those 13 levels again and That's, then the funds yeah. get sent to a lawyer and then the, fu- the lawyer lets go of it once they're ready to go it's like three, four, five weeks, if not longer sometimes. So I, I didn't realize how lucky I was. And you touched you on the difference is it's, I mean, you still need appraisals and appraisals yeah. have to happen and they take some time. An individual still has to have things like, you know, NOA or, or something equivalent. You might need yeah. rent rolls, all that sort of stuff. Yeah. But it's after like you've dressed this perfect package and you send it to an A lender. They're like, we're going to look at it for five to six weeks <laughs> and then we're going to fund whenever the heck we feel like after yeah. that, as far as I can tell. Um, <laughs> you know, and... Jay, the Jay difference speaking from a spot right now. Well, the difference is <laughs> yeah, the difference is you guys have a bit more autonomy and, and less rungs to go through. Where it's all right, here's a complete package. We can take a look at it and make a decision. Absolutely. Yeah. So we're making all the decisions in house, and we make them quickly. So that's the key thing at the end of the day is speed, yeah. like you guys both alluded to, right? So we're turning things around. You know, we've done some deals as fast as 24 hour turnaround times, and that's from approval to funding. Typically, it's 48 hours, and we and we almost guarantee everything is done within seven days. So it's very quick and that really what but that's from apart. the time of like having the appraisal having the full application. absolutely yeah. so you need to have the appraisal in and that includes like legal and getting the funds out mm-hmm. the door right so you know things have to kind of fall into place for that uh but you mentioned appraisals as well so yes we do need to have an appraisal done but like in your situation neil as well I'll, I'll even go to site sometimes and do inspections rather than having an appraiser waiting for that appraiser to go and schedule yeah. it in two weeks yeah. from now, send a report. You know, I can usually go there and determine whether the windows are in or whether a home is weather tight <laughs> or not. It's not that yeah. difficult. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that's one benefit. That's where we the engineering well. degree comes in. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. Knowing yeah. if the windows are in. <laughs> it took yeah. five years of applying out about yeah. how that works. But <laughs> yeah. Uh, the other key thing I wanted to mention as well, and this is one we really pitch is, is that our mortgages are fully open as well. So yes, our rates are going to be higher than you're finding at the bank because you get the advantage of speed and other factors and flexibility, which are big things for us. But the open mortgage aspect is key because if you're with us, you know, when you get your project done in six months, eight months, 12 months, whatever it might be, you don't have to pay those penalties on the back end to break the mortgage. You pay us out, it's clean, is what it is. You refinance your property and Bob's your uncle. Um, 
to that note about flexibility and stuff, what are some unique situations that you guys have come across that you've dealt with maybe regarding like environmentals, uh, burnt down buildings? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, what are you alluding to? Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and just other like weird scenarios like that. Sure. What have you guys like looked at that I think most banks wouldn't have the risk appetite to ha- take on, but you guys have gotten into? Yeah. Yeah. So I can chat on a couple examples there. And if you don't mind, Neil, we'll chat on, yeah, uh, yeah, on, yeah. on your property that, uh, you know, is, is quite a unique one as well. But uh, yeah. um, so Neil had this property that, that he brought to us, I guess it was <laughs> three or four years ago now that had burnt down. Yeah. Uh, it was in, you know, a decent area of Halifax, I guess. Yeah. Um, up and coming, we'll say, but uh, yep. it's uh, is one of those ones where you know there's different factors, but we were still able to be in first position. I think there was a vendor take back associated with it yep. uh, to kind of help offset your down payment. Yep. Uh, but for us, we're still secured in the fact that we're in first position. We were about sixty five percent LTV. I think there mm-hmm. might have been another asset that we leveraged, maybe a personal property or another property you have, yep. uh, just to kind of a, yep. as a show, sign a good faith for our yep. first deal together. Um, and and that's one there where we based it off the as complete value again, right? So you were you were putting in the renovations to get this place up to spec, yeah, and uh, you know build it up and increase the rents, and uh, you know all went smoothly. We took we took a bit, bit of a gamble on you, but yeah. uh, <laughs> seems to have worked out pretty well so far. You also had the advantage of you know you had a contracting company right through your restoration company, right? Like so yes. that that helped the application as well. Yeah, we talked about that a bit too, and I think I we put it. I remember sending in a resume I think to you guys as well as like a background that I had the contracting company i had the engineering degree uh and then we put up i had a duplex that i was living in oh we i put would that love to see can we get a copy of that resume <laughs> <laughs> i would love to see i that. was really dated. good at uh when you're dished at moxie's no but that but, that's interesting but that even that just like the subjectiveness the freedom to be like all right well what's the total picture here because other lenders if you don't fit in that box yeah it's like well you don't fit in the box right where you've got the discretion to say, okay, what's this person's credentials? One, he's a licensed real estate person, so he should kind of know a little bit about what he's doing. Yeah. Uh, he does have access to tradespeople and, and an understanding of pricing. Uh, all those things can kind of roll into it. Like what what for you would make a, a deal killer versus a slam dunk? Like what, what's, if someone says, I've got this situation, here's my equity position, but like what, you're like, okay, that what right there. So, deal for you guys? Yeah, so so deal killer, I'll focus on that one first. I'm <laughs> glad you guys, you guys brought mm-hmm. this one up. I got a good story for this one, so... Um, <laughs> You know, this is one here. So if you got like a super rural property and it's super high LTV, chances are that's not getting through. But this is a funny one. And we've seen this example come through a couple of times. And there's one in particular that I remember from a broker partner we had. And it came in and the deal, I think, was in Spring Hill, Nova Scotia. And no offense to the good people of Spring Hill, Nova Scotia. Just not one of our preferred Was it an old decommissioned mine? (laughs) It was about a $100,000 property. Uh, 80% LTV, and we're typically in that location, maybe 50, 60%. Right. That's loan to value uh, for people who are kind of loan like, to okay, value, correct. That means, yeah. you know, the person wanted to borrow 80% on the value of the property, 100000 and you guys would be more comfortable in a location like that, like 50% of the value. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Just a risk mitigation tool, right? So uh, this particular client had uh, either one or two bankruptcies in the past and was currently in consumer proposal. He borrowed his down payment from his sister and his cousin or something like that. But the broker, and he pulls in, we're all sales guys here, and the broker pulls out the sales tactic, he says, but he's a really good dude. <laughs> and I looked at my underwriter, and I said, well, you should have told us that first. He's approved, right? So, <laughs> but I thought that was a funny one, you know, yeah. and we get that all the time. He's, I know this guy really well. He's a really good guy, cool. right? So, Do you want to spot him so, 100000 Yeah, yeah. We're going to lose thirty grand on this deal, but at least he's a really good dude. So yeah, yeah, yeah. no big deal. So, 
so so I'd say that's kind of the biggest deal killer is is um, you know something that's high LTV rural locations past credit issues where mm. you know it's more likely that they're going to default because we don't want it you know there's also that stigma out there that private lenders are in there you know to go get properties that's the furthest thing from the truth we have zero interest in the the time that goes into you know going having to chase money and and, and yeah. sell off a property and the legal process associated with that yeah um so really no interest in that. and in fact that leads us to sometimes being more flexible to make sure that client does get out and does successfully, right. whether that means selling their property, refinancing, or, or whatever else to, to get out of the loan. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's some people who I think um, believe that private money can be a catch-all for anything. And I know I sometimes feel like a buzz killer. People are like, well, listen, uh, you know, I want to buy a 12-unit building. I have no money, um, <laughs> and I'm not gainfully employed, uh, but I'm a hustler. And I'm going to find a seller who's going to do, you know, a 15% vendor take back. And then I'll just do private money for the 10%. And then I'll just get a loan. It's like, man, it's not quite no. that simple. You still have to have skin in the game. You still yeah. have to have a, a, a solid overall portfolio. <laughs> you still need to have some cash. There's this yeah. misconception that you can just run around with 0% deals all over town. For but sure. like you need some cash. And it, that's exactly it, Chandler. I think, you know, skin in the game is key for us. So yes, there is certain scenarios where we will, you know, accept a vendor take back. But, you know, if the client's only putting 5% down or trying to do 0% down, we're not interested in that. It's too easy for them to walk away from the deal if something goes sideways. Yeah. And then we're, you know, kind of stuck with that asset. Now you're a proud owner in Spring Hill. <laughs> <laughs> to your point, I mean, I know some deals you guys worked on that you guys will work with your client to help them get through their exit strategy. Because again, you guys are not interested in reassuming the property, especially in today's like that last couple of years, people believe that because I think like, oh, they get the property, they can throw it on market and get 10x their investment. Sure. But in a normal market, there's a lot of times if you take a half renovated property that you've now well, the next person the can't finance budget. It. The person buying it can't finance it. The right? person so, buying yeah. can't finance it. It's not fully done. You know what I mean? So you run a huge risk in assuming assuming that property. Um, so we've talked about some of the <laughs> deal killers. What's something outside of maybe credit score and income that would be like a great way to get approved? Obviously, like is it just really appraisals, like your number one big thing, making sure that there's equity in that? Or is there another thing that you like see it comes across it's like a nice bonus to, to have I, I think experience neil like you said you know when you submit that that actually does hold weight for us so you know when you talk about the experience you've had whether it's you know renovating in the past or you you know you work with contractors or you've done it before you've built 10 other homes that holds a lot of weight for us what if he's a dick it, well, <laughs> you got to be a really good dude. I already touched on well, this. Well, like, right? that's so. the thing, man. That, that's, that's a yes or no. Good duel. Good dude. Yes. No. Yeah. Dick. No. Uh, yeah. yeah. But yeah, that, that's that's kind of the key thing for us. And I'd say that's even more important than credit profile. And I, I feel like I've mentioned credit profile a bunch of times now. That is lower on the priority for us than the equity or the experience for the client. Yeah. No, that, you can actually yeah. see them through and you can understand sometimes credit profiles get beat up, hence why they're Exactly. Well, and often people we deal with too have, you know, high utilization because they have five, 10, 15 properties, right? Yep. So yeah. the credit score might Line show lower, but yep. you know, we look at that and we take that into consideration and that, you know, is still just as good as someone with an 800 credit score if that's the reason. I got to say this cause this is a personal situation I'm facing right now, but like I have a decent credit score, but I pay all of my bills on time. I have nothing that's behind right now. Yet it still went down. It only went down by like two points. 
but I just started monitoring it, and now it goes down like one, two points every time the statement comes out, and it's literally just well, it's because, because I have so many different your credit. things. Yeah. 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 Well, those apps don't do that. Yeah, yeah. Do they? That's also a bit that's of a, uh, so. uh, uh, yeah. lifestyle. But, um, yeah, a lot yeah. of it is, you know, you may you may pay your credit card off religiously every month, but if it has a $5,000 limit and you're at 4800 like that's going to ding your credit regardless. I know it's kind of... Uh, it's kind of wonky. Like I, mm-hmm. that's what I'm getting dinged on is that I have a high amount of money on my card, but none of it is carryover from the previous month. Yeah. Also, like you can get real savvy and figure out what day they do that measure and just like throw it, put it down <laughs> to zero on like the doing. 13th of the month and yeah. then take all the money back out in the 14th. But um, they don't like that and they charge yeah. more interest on advancing. <laughs> anyway. Um, Speaking of interest. Well, yeah. No, before we get into that for a second. So you guys do everything from someone wanting to finance a small home purchase or flip or something like yeah. that up until what? Like what's your upper threshold limit? Upper threshold limit is typically about three million in most scenarios. So oh, lent money. Yeah, yeah lent yeah, money. Okay. So, you know, in, in terms terms of units, you know, that typically equates to somewhere between uh, 12 to 24 units, I guess, would be kind of the the max that we're looking at. So our, our sweet spot would be somewhere between like four units to 24 units, I'd say, gotcha. for the most part. Yeah. Uh, and I know you mentioned on, on a past podcast as well that, you know, some of the big opportunities are going to be in these smaller st- scale construction of your, you know, two to six units. Yeah, we've That's been our bread and butter for years is doing yeah. those types of deals where, you know, it might be like, four townhomes built on slab targeting a senior demographic or something like that in, yep. in a Truro or Elmsdale or something like that. We've had a ton of success with that. And they tend, the borrower tends to do quite well on that and, and, get, and get the lift they're looking for. Yeah. So in our last episode, we talked a little bit about um, new construction, but that'd be an instance, like say someone could get, you know, a really smoking deal on a piece of land and maybe they're able to buy it cash. Um, you know, say, say they can come up with the cash to buy a piece of land for a hundred thousand dollars. And then through a development agreement, or subdivision, they're now able to knock off four units on that lot. Well, now that property goes from $100,000 to potentially worth, you know, $300,000. And then now you have $300,000 worth of equity. And you would come to Ryan and say, okay, here's the cost it's going to take me to complete this project. But I already have $300,000 worth of equity on it. This is the end complete once we've got these four units built. And if those numbers jive between your $300,000 of equity in the property and your kind of gap between your as complete and what it costs you to build those structures, now they can lend on it. So that's the sort of thing that, that we're talking about and that Ryan would kind of have interest in. Is and, that and, and t- right exactly now? right. And, and, and typically in that scenario on that as complete value, we're doing about 65 to 70% of that as complete in terms of your, your construction budget, right? Or, gotcha. or our total loan size. So like so, hypothetically, like say you'd be all in on the project for, you know, see four units say you could do build them really cheap for 800,000 so your all in would be like 1.1 million but yep. you've got 300,000 in equity you would loan on the as complete or you don't we loan on the as complete exactly so yep. if that comes back and it's you know we're funding 700,000 of that then you know you've got pretty much your your costs covered yeah, yeah. from the loan because maybe those appraise out at the end at 350 a pop so you know they're actually worth whatever that is one point four I mean you guys yeah. got the rings whatever that math yeah. works out to. I think it's yeah. 1.4 million yeah. right um yeah. So anyway, people can mess around with the calculator and figure that out. But that's a, a great little, you know, uh, hypothetical example there. Yeah, totally. And so now someone's gone through the whole process. They've gotten approved. What is somebody looking at for expenses on money like that? Uh, like the I said, rates, the rates. Yeah. We want to know rates. And then there's also and DLCs fees. associated yeah. with it. Yep. Um, and then I know we'll say like, what is, is there any monitoring expectations? You said you'll come out to site yourself. 
I don't know if you want to just break down kind of what you see as the whole package, yep. what somebody would face. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, we're very transparent with our rates and fees with our clients. So, you know, your, your biggest consideration is going to be your interest cost, which is going to dictate your monthly payments. Yep. Uh, there is lender fees associated with it. Typically, a range is from 2 to 5%, depending on the situation. Okay. Uh, and that's basically cost of doing business for private money. Yep. Um, but one thing I will mention on our rates as well, um, in a construction project, which we do a lot of, uh, a renovation loan being the same thing, we only charge interest on the amount that's drawn. So there is some private lenders out there that will say, "Here's your, this is your $400,000 construction loan that we're only advancing 100K on right now, but we're charging, but we're charging you on the 400. Right. We we won't do that. We'll only we'll only charge you on what's drawn. And some people don't even end up needing that 400,000. They may yeah. only need 250 or 300, right? And they've yeah. you know they've been able to scrounge up their own cash or, or whatever else or make some savings to to put towards it, right? So that's been the key thing. That's super nice. I, I can say I remember I dealt with a different bank and I had a full construction loan approved and then I ended up paying interest on all of it. And I was always nervous. But with you guys, I'm always able, I'm like, I'll get the max approved and ready to go because realistically I'm not going to pay on it until I draw on the actual amount and then I pay on specifically that amount on a monthly basis. So say someone's borrowing $200,000 <laughs> up front, there's kind of a 2% to 5% fee, so that's four to uh, $10,000 just for borrowing the funds. And that's Correct. usually withdrawn from the funds that are being advanced. That's, yeah, that's so right, you, so we'd advance 190 instead of 200 in that scenario, right? Yeah. Exactly, yeah. and then the carrying interest is what? Typically. So it's typically around 1% a month. So it, it, yep. it depends. It, it ranges from, you know, 10 to 12% annually. Uh, but again, you know, I know that sounds, you know, you know, high versus what the banks are at, although the it, it's converging at yeah, this yeah. point. I, say, I, just um, made, I just signed a grade A mortgage <laughs> at 7%. Yeah. yeah. Like yeah. 65 loan to value. And I'm like, God damn. Yeah. Jesus. But, but one thing I always remind, you know, our clients and brokers as well is that it's, it's not apples to apples comparison, right? You're comparing yeah. a fully open loan to, you know, a closed loan that's a five-year term when you're looking at that three, four, five int- percent interest rate. I think also it's like you're comparing money that you actually get versus money you don't get. Exactly. So it, it's, it's a non-comparison <laughs> yeah, yeah. in a lot of respects. A- absolutely. <laughs> so, so you get the flexibility. And, and the other things I'll mention in terms of fees as well where, you know, there's legal fees associated, which typically are around $1,000, yeah. and the appraisal fees is, as well, which is, you know, in the range of four or 500. You guys might know better than I on that. Yeah. yeah. So realistically, to borrow two hundred thousand um, dollars for six months would be worst case ten grand plus two. Twelve grand. Call it twelve grand. Yeah. 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 Tw- Twenty five k. Yeah. yeah. So if you're looking at the opportunity to do a project or not do a project uh, over the next six months. Yeah. And you're building out your. If you're borrowing that amount of money, you're likely involved in a project that's worth hundreds of thousands of dollars, um, and so your your cost exposure might be twenty four, twenty five thousand dollars over the scope of the six month project to borrow. Which again, you're comparing against maybe not uh, getting st- st- well, not not getting it at all. But even if you did get it, it would be sixty percent of that. So yeah. really, the net swing is maybe twelve grand to do the project or not do the project. And this is why people use it. And this is where my stubbornness opposed to it in hindsight was was a mistake like but i was i was genuinely scared of it and totally and i, I think you're right to do so because there there is like if you're not smart with it you can put yourself in a rut but this was one of the big things for me is when you look at a lot of other loans like by the time they still have lawyers the other thing that's really nice is i don't know i forget who you guys use but it's much cheaper than a lot of other banks like i when i fund a, a loan with another bank i find i'm paying like four grand in legal fees to fund a mortgage and i'm like what was the why uh, and so there's there's that aspect that I find you guys have been cheaper on uh, appraisals and cost monitoring. 
Like, again, you guys are willing to work with almost all appraisers. You guys are willing to come out to site sometimes to help us save money or get things done faster. Uh, cost monitoring and appraisals for other banks can cost thousands of dollars and take tons and tons of time. So there's that aspect. Um, and then, yeah, again, the, the funding timeline, which we'll touch on here in a second. So And you're still going to pay a deal fee on money that you borrow from a regular bank. Yep. Um, and then additionally, where everything's open, when you go to pay out another bank, even on their open products, you might be paying three months interest. Once you boil it all out, if you have a project that you're doing in like six to nine months, honestly, there is like that 25 grand, you're probably spending 20 with a regular bank, but you have a ton of headache and trying to get that money is a pain in the butt. Yeah, um, absolutely. So a couple of points <laughs> I'll make there, um, you know, like Chandler mentioned, you know, what's the cost of not doing the loan? Uh, yeah. and, and one thing I recommend to brokers when they're positioning this to their clients or when we're dealing directly with clients is, you know, calculate the total dollar cost, just like you mentioned, Neil, right? Mm-hmm. Rather than looking at that percent, the absolute percent, right? So actually calculate what this is going to cost you and look at it as a line item in your budget. Yeah. If it makes 100%. sense in your budget, yeah. then, you know, you, it makes sense to do the deal. Always, always budget. That's I say, I 100% agree with that. Make sure you put it in your budget. That's a, a lot of people don't put their lending costs and legal fees and soft costs into their budgets on these smaller projects. Yeah. And that can really chew up, especially if you have a tight margin, you're really relying on getting out 20 grand, like you got to make sure you put them all in there. And if the numbers yeah. make sense, then, then yeah. there's no reason. I mean, man, if I need to have 15 grand in there for the porta potty, <laughs> like I will slide this line item in there yeah. as well. Absolutely. Um, so, that, that's actually maybe steep for the porta potty. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. Like, what are they <laughs> serving on site? <laughs> What's um, the food cart so, uh, menu? Taco like Bell. So um, we know cost. Yeah, we should yeah. dive into these questions uh, on some you know personal thoughts about where you think interest rates are heading because obviously sure. you're hyper tapped into this. Yeah, so we, I mean, we'll say, so we went to the BOC presentation that was here in Halifax, Tiff Macklin presented. Yeah, which uh, actually hosted by Credit Union Atlantic. Yep, it was hosted yeah, by yeah. CUA. And Remax. And um, Remax. Yeah. Tiff, if you guys don't know, he's governor of Bank of Canada. Uh, he is quite heavily involved in a lot of the decisions that get made regarding interest rate hikes yeah. and what takes place with money being doled he, out. He's the face of Canadian monetary policy, he for is sure. the face yeah. of Canadian monetary policy. Uh, Chandler had to withhold himself from getting up on stage and punching him in the face. Well, <laughs> But uh, the presentation wasn't bad overall. If anything, it gave me less confidence than ever. And <laughs> we were talking about before we came on, but a lot of his answers seemed to be fairly scripted, yeah. and it was very political. Like he oh, never man, he's been regurgitating that speech probably yeah. in every yeah, every luncheon that he's done. His English to French was I was impressed. I was like, damn, he just yeah. slips that up like no big deal. Like yeah. he he is ready for prime minister. But anyways, um, we have a couple of things we want to get your opinion on because him and I blab about it all the time, and I think everyone's tired of hearing what we sure. think. Yeah, um, and you don't don't feel the pressure to expound. Just kind of what your guts, what, what your thoughts are on these. We're holding yeah. you accountable to your answers. Uh, yeah. Sounds so, good. <laughs> uh, the first one is, do you expect rates to continue going up? Which but like by how much and for how long, uh, kind of. And again, again, not exact answers, but roughly overall, are you expecting things to kind of keep running off the charts? Yeah, I, I honestly thought we were kind of at the end of it until listening to Tiff speak <laughs> last week. And now it's clear that we are not at the end of it. Yeah. Um, you know, I think that we're going to see at least one or two more going into October you know, 27th is the next date or 28th. Yeah. So, so I mean, I think we'll certainly see an increase there, whether it's a quarter point or half point, you know, I have no idea. Ooh, it'll be a half anyway. Yeah. 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 Likely. But I mean, it, and I think that's likely going to continue until the back half of 2023, realistically. Wow. Um, like you'll think they'll stay high that or you think he'll keep I think they'll, it up? I think they'll, I think they'll stay high until gotcha. that point. And then, you know, hopefully we'll see some easing at that point. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's going to be, it's going to create more unpredictability, I think, in the market uh, where this is going. I don't, I don't. Did you guys peg off the bank rates or five year 
fit? We don't just... actually. So, so CUA would our parent company, but it's yeah. a private lender. We don't, so we're okay. not tied to the prime rate. So we actually haven't increased our rate. So like I mentioned before, it's kind of converging towards our rate. Yeah, yeah. And so that's likely going to create more opportunity for us. The challenge being on the back end for exit strategies, yeah, that's, right? That's, you so, totally, yeah, push so hard. That's kind of what was our, our final question. Maybe you can speak to it now. Like yeah. this is all about the exit strategy. Even you open talking about the exit strategy. It's something we hound on all the time is like mm-hmm. your exit strategy getting out of these deals. Mm-hmm. Do you have concern about that moving forward? Yeah, I do. That's probably my biggest concern going into next year. Um, I think there's going to be, and I mean, the inventory is still crunched right now, right? So there's still a need for our construction projects and for people to, you know, renovate these multi-unit uh, commercial buildings as well. Um, so, but unfortunately on the back end, I think we are going to be more challenged with takeouts or Mm -hmm. developers are going to be less likely to do it because they're not going to have that same spread when they refinance and they're having to refinance at a seven or 8% versus a three or 4%, right? So I do think that'll be a challenge for us going forward into next year. Um, I still think we will see a lot of opportunity, uh, both with construction, uh, commercial multi-unit loans, like I mentioned, and but also bridge financing, which we've seen a lot of in the last couple of years. So mm-hmm. we'll likely still see that. But, you know, again, we don't want those clients having to stay with us for two, three years because that's when the, the problems start to, to rack up. Is that what you usually do in a scenario like that then? You try and come up with a, a rate that's basically palatable that they can pay through income and, and keep the property afloat to try and see to better times? Yeah, I mean, honestly, we luckily haven't had to deal with this a lot in the last <laughs> couple of years because the market's been so strong that clients either been able to sell their property or yeah. lenders have seen, you know, a property that may, we may have had at 70% LTV is now at 55% LTV yeah. and banks so much more likely to yeah. make an exception and take that out, right? Yeah. Yeah. So if that starts going the other way and values are decreasing, you know, obviously we're going to be more challenged there. So I don't know. I, I was, I'm hopeful that, you know, we're going to see it ease a little bit, but uh, based on what uh, Governor Macklem said last <laughs> week, it, it sounds like he wants to keep hammering us over the head with uh, the increased rates. Yeah. Do you, do you think, um, you know, banks are going to start calling loans? Do you think there's going to be default issues? Like, what do you foresee there? I think it's definitely going to increase. So, yeah. you know, I'm I'm proud to say that we, I think we had zero foreclosures in 2020 and in 2021. Uh, and typically, nice. historically, we would see that as a bad thing that we're not taking enough risk because in right. our business, yeah. it's bound to happen, right? Yeah. Just, yeah, just yeah. given the type that's of business good. we're yeah, in. That's interesting. Um, but typically, we do like to keep that to a low percentage. Uh, we've start to we've started to see that creep back to historical norms, which is which is fine. Um, what are historical norms? Below five percent, so, so I'd say our target's typically three to four percent right. uh, for foreclosure rates. So significantly higher than the banks would have, but but yeah. you know, very normal for for private lending. They try to say sub two percent, is it, or even lower than that? Even lower yeah, than that, point like, two percent. Like, yeah. Oh wow, target, wow, yeah. okay, so like yeah. not yeah. at all. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. yeah, basically not at all. So yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah I don't want none. any, but, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. but they, they still do. There's a level of risk. They don't want to sprinkle. They don't want to sprinkle a couple defaults. So yeah, to answer your question, I think definitely. You know, hopefully there's you know more flexibility and not as many called loans. Like I said, with us, like we want to avoid that at all costs, and we understand that there's external market forces that are happening here. Um, so as long as the client's kind of holding up their end of the bargain or, you know, if they're really, you know, not able to make those payments for whatever reason, yeah. we come up with a payment arrangement, right, to get them that additional three months or six months they need yeah. to get out. 
So, and again, just so people know, when you're saying calling a loan, like there's a couple options, I think, within that. They're literally wanting to get out of that property and not work on the, be a part of it anymore, so they need to get paid out. And they're usually putting a short term on it, like being like within 180 days or 90 days, even we need you to pay us out to get us out of this property. Or additionally, and I don't know if we've seen this here, but they you want to pay down the loan to value. So like we've now reassessed. Yep. Rental cash flows are not going to cover this amount of yeah, debt. Yeah, you put a lump sum. And so now you yeah. need to give us another couple hundred grand to reduce this loan, yeah. which... That's going to become more common. This, I've talked about it before. It's, it's a scary thing. Um, and just because if you have a bunch of properties that are at a high leverage ratio and then the loans are all needing to be called or you need to dump down a hundred grand on each of them and you don't have that available... You could be forced, your hand could be forced to sell something at potentially not a great number just to literally pay out the loan. Yeah, that's yeah. a great point, Neil. And and one thing I didn't mention is that our loans are interest-only loans as well. So yeah. uh, typically, if you're paying P&I to us, that means you're on the shit list. Yeah. So <laughs> we typically want to, want to avoid plus that. Interest. Yeah. Principal, <laughs> principal plus interest, thank you. Um, but yeah, I mean... There is scenarios where people do want to pay down principal as well, and it makes sense, and you know it helps them with the takeout as well if they can pay it down by a yeah. little bit. Okay. But that's another another benefit of our open loans as well is that people can make those principal payments. Say you get you know a big bonus or something, or you sell off another piece of real estate and you want to put fifty grand down on the loan. Yeah, we can do that, and there's no penalties to do that. And you can do as much or as little as you want in a given year. Yeah. Also, not having a principal component of your monthly payment keeps that cash flow similar to Absolutely. if you had a, an A lender on the deal, um, which again, if you're going through a project for six months, you are most concerned with cash flow. So it, it could get it closer again to, to net zero versus going to, to a primary lender, yep. an A lender. Could you see yourselves, um, if someone gets, <laughs> let's say an A lender calls someone's loan, could you see yourselves stepping in to pay out that A lender with another exit strategy or what would you guys be looking for there? We've done that before. Are you kind of talking in terms of like saving them from foreclosure? Yes. Yeah. We, we've done that before, but it typically the loan to value has to be in, in such an area where there's enough equity there where we might be able to build in an interest reserve and okay. cover payments for those six months or 12 months. Yeah, and right. we need a pretty locked down exit strategy for something like that. Like we are going to sell the property within this Well, that's just frame. it. If they've got that much like equity in the property, they're really treading water and the bank's probably like, sell the damn thing. Exactly. Right? And they'd come to you and you'd probably say, yeah, we'll help you out for a period, but then you might have to sell the damn thing <laughs> to, to recover this. Yeah. And that is an acceptable exit strategy yeah. for us too. If they're willing to sell the property and yeah. you know, we, we feel we you know where they're going to price the property makes sense, then you know we have explored those situations before, but it has to be the right fit because those are naturally higher risk clients. Yeah, that, and that makes sense, obviously, because you're basically taking over a failed setup with somebody else and you're, you're hoping to turn that around. So I was just curious what that looks like. Again, I'm just like, I'm, I'm a bit of a fear monger. I'm just concerned about where things are going in this next year. Um, but uh, I don't think I have much else. Like, like I said, you think you, you said the rates, you see a couple more hikes this year and staying through to the end of next year. Do you think you'll see more rate hikes next year? Like my opinion, I feel like walking away from TIFF is I feel like there's like a hundred plus basis points to go. Well, man, 100 points at is least, nothing, though. At, at, the rate, at, at the rate we're going, 100 points is nothing. Chandler lives for <laughs> massive rate hikes. No, He's on I all variable all, products. Just a couple, three, 400 basis yeah, points, yeah, whatever, for Chandler. But for the rest oh, yeah. of us. <laughs> I, um, I think, you know, from my perspective, if I had to guess, and it is complete guess, I think there'll be one more this year, one more next year, and then hopefully we'll start to see it either level off or trend down. Because <laughs> You think they'll give us a Christmas break? I was kind of thinking they might give us a Christmas break. <laughs> I, I don't know about because that. Because they've got a meeting. Well, they've got a meeting at the end of this month, October, and then they've got a meeting. Uh, they, there's nothing in November. 
and there's one in, in December as well. I think I think at a minimum we're going to see 50 points here in, in yeah. a week. Right? I bumped into Tiff at the Halloween store with a Grinch costume, so I, <laughs> <laughs> I think we're getting a big Christmas bonus. Oh, gosh, <laughs> well, he's getting yeah. a big Christmas bonus. Yeah, so I mean, like, to, see, to see 100 points by the end of the year uh, is very, very possible. Yeah. Very possible. But, I mean, to your point, Chandler, on a, I think it was a previous episode you guys had where, you know, we're not seeing the effects of the past rate increases. Yeah, yet. this mother won't even give it a chance. Exactly. And inflation <laughs> is, is starting to go down. It's starting to yeah. trend down. So rather than like, you know, I was kind of surprised where he basically told us that it is going to go up again. Because if I if you guys had asked me this before that, I would have said, we're probably done. And we're not yeah, going like, to have any more this year. Listen, by all indications, we're already rolling over, right? Like, so Hold it's, the phone. It's, it's kind of like, you know, you're going up this hill. Right. And there's always this lag and you start putting this downward pressure on it. But when you put the pressure point here, it still continues up for a bit and then it starts to roll over. So now you're going downhill and it's like at a certain point, when you're going downhill. You can stop pedaling. Right. And you can coast down the hill and he's still pedaling full tilt on his little training wheel bike. This I can't stand this. You want, you want to go after this guy. <laughs> let me let me pause for a second. I remember the presentation. The one thing I did get from it was. When you take out exclude factors like gas and food, core inflation, yeah, which yeah. and you take it, just look at core inflation. It hasn't moved a ton, and so there's that aspect. The other thing that hasn't I, moved at all. The, the, well, yeah, sorry, and it hadn't moved at all. It was at five percent. It hadn't moved at all. So that target they're trying to bring down. That's why they're keeping increased rates. But I do think in time it'll it'll start to move. The other thing I think listening to him, it sounded like the focus of the BOC almost is more on, which makes sense, basically the value of our currency. Uh, I didn't. Th- I didn't. Then, I think that then, then the all. actual homeowner. Like at the end of the day, like, yeah, Nancy's not gonna be able to have all the fancy food for Christmas. But if our currency plummets to a value that's worthless, uh, no one's gonna have any nice food for the rest of Christmases. Yeah, yeah I mean, he, kept, he kept talking about runaway it. inflation. My, my, my whole thing that I took from it is that he basically said the labor market's too hot. It, no, you know, totally. they're, they're, unemployment's yeah, too low. Inflation. You know, um, wages are too high. The the labor market is still way too hot and that's the thing people and i said this before people didn't like it like until people are, are unemployed they're going oh, yeah. to keep these, these raises up so we were tracking unemployment for a while and like all these layoffs and again it's you can see down. those things like yes and no man like you can still hear the whispers of it because those take forever 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 and we talked about this last episode when unemployment is the last thing to go the housing market is the first thing to topple and it toppling is a sign that um you know inflation is cooling but it just happens so quickly all the other things, you know, consumer buying, then orders, then profits, then unemployment. So we're somewhere in this downward uh, projection, but he's just still pedaling full tilt. I don't know. Coming out of that presentation, I'm not feeling super convinced. No, yet. no, no. He's uh, going to raise them. <laughs> like, yeah. There's, no, there's yeah. no question. Um, um, but I also think what's really interesting is when this episode drops, I don't know when this episode is going to come out, um, but shortly, actually probably as this episode drops, we're going to get the inflation numbers for September, and those are going to be huge. I think it was 7% in August, which was deemed as, as a win. Um, we need to see that sucker under 7%. Um, still on the thing. Like, he's still going to raise it, core but inflation, like, yeah. man, core inflation, because we talked about it. Gas prices are artificially manipulated by just dropping the crap out of the reserves. So eventually those will go back up. Like it doesn't really mean anything. But even like core inflation has started to level, right? And again, you're talking about this thing is it crescents and then it starts rolling over. Like you have to look forward. And it's so ironic that they didn't look forward whatsoever when things were going to the moon, right? He was just chilling. And then now um, he's, he's kind of hasn't learned but yeah. we need to wrap it up. We let Ryan go. Yeah. We also have to go to a meeting. <laughs> yeah. Really but appreciate the insight. Yeah. Thanks, thanks for guys. coming in. Anything else you want to add? No, uh, nothing in particular. It was uh, a lot of fun. 
Appreciate yeah, you guys we'll put all your on. details so people can connect with Absolutely. you. Absolutely, you guys are even on Instagram. I think you have two Instagram accounts because one got hacked or something <laughs> yeah. like that. I didn't uh, want to mention that, but that's okay. right. <laughs> Graceburg uh, underscore capital. Yeah, yeah. That one. Um, you know, we'll, we'll make sure people have your credentials, and obviously, people can reach out to us for a small referral fee. We will gladly. Send yeah, you exactly. <laughs> Text us direct, and then for a thousand. No, um, so I want to add in as a last thing. Obviously, thanks for coming in and everything like that. But I do want to say, obviously, Graceburg's been amazing for me. Uh, they've basically got me started. They allowed me to grow a ton. I'm now going through all the exit strategies and cleaning things up. But I also want to add, like, we didn't really talk about it, but the service level has been awesome. Like, response. I didn't realize this episode was sponsored. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm just it doing it because Ryan's, Ryan's uh-huh. the man. So, and they've always been so responsive, but everybody, all your staff, too. Like, I send an email, and within, like, 30, 40 minutes, I have yeah. an answer, which is so valuable when you're in there and you have all this money out it's super stressful and you're looking for answers and if you have to wait three four days or you have to call the bank five times to get through it means nothing so that's another thing i just want to add in there before we finish yeah. up but yeah speed speed and service are at the core of our business so i appreciate the kind words Neil. yeah Cheers. awesome so thanks Beautiful. for coming on thanks again man really appreciate yeah. it any other questions guys leave them in the comments and we'll uh we'll make like, ryan answer them and comment email. reach out you know the deal yeah <laughs> peace Thank you for tuning in for this episode. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform you use. And if you're on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, give us a rating and send us some feedback. We'd love to hear from you. You can find us on social media at Master Keys Podcast. See you next week. When, 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 when I was broke, I had rich habits. Uh. When I was broke, I had rich habits.